1: It is a roll call tradition, identifying the most vulnerable House and Senate incumbents each election cycle. And for our first look at the franchise for 2024, we'll discuss the 20 who are on the hot seat who we've put on the list with Herb Jackson, Roll Call's politics editor. Herb, welcome back to political theater. It's been weeks. It seems like I was just here. Well, we were discussing something else. We were discussing where you get cheap beer, which is the National Press Club. Um, Shh. <laughs> um, and also a place that uh, fights for press freedom, of course, and is important. And, and it is. I, we're, you know, I, I I, think the glow is still on for that episode. But I, I thought that we could not pass up the opportunity to discuss – what I think uh, a lot of people expect and uh, to see from roll call, and we've got it out, uh, which is the the most vulnerable incumbents uh, list, the first one of this cycle. I know you were excited about it, especially after doing vote studies and presidential loyalty <laughs> and things like and attendance and and things like that with with the vote stuff. But this is uh, it, it. This is always a good marker. This. You know, this shows that, again, the focus is just on the incumbents. We we don't look at open seats. Uh, we look at incumbents, people who are in the building now. And uh, we, I, I think it is a very valuable, like, look at where the race is as of this moment. Uh, it does tend to change. Uh, but then, you know, it, sometimes it's, it, it's a, a, a little bit of shuffling here and there, but it also just gives – uh, sort of the lay of the land, let's talk a little bit about how you and your team put this this list together.
0: Yeah, I make them do all the work, and then I just criticize them, but no. Uh, essentially, that sounds like
1: a good manager. That, that sounds like management 101 gold star to me. Yeah.
0: Um, Mary Ellen McIntyre and Daniela Tamari are two top... Uh, Campaigns reporters spent hours and hours on calls with uh, campaign operatives, uh, party committees. Our colleagues, Nathan, Nathan Gonzalez, um, and uh, they got they basically went down and said, "What about this race? What about that race? Who do you have? How do you feel? Uh, you know?" And then they would compare notes, and then they put together each their independently their ten. And, you know, that usually gave us, well, with the Senate, it was a different thing because really we, there's a couple of really vulnerable senators and then there's a handful that may be vulnerable. So we really could argue that it could be the most seven most vulnerable, but we like 10. Uh, Whereas with the House, getting it down to 10 was a difficult problem. And part of it is, you know, like we didn't even do two states because we don't know what their districts are going to be like. North Carolina is going to redraw its districts and there are likely going to be members there that are in in this list the next time when that is done. Ohio, I'm still not sure where things are. I mean, you know, but but there could be members there. And, you know, in a lot of these races, there's also still not a candidate running against the incumbent. So there could be somebody, there may not be, um, you know, but then of course... The day after we publish the list, one of them gets indicted. You know, so
1: it's not, not just one of them. The number one, one most <laughs> yeah. vulnerable incumbent uh, in the House, who we'll get to soon, uh, and that's uh, George Santos. Yes. Uh, and, and that, but we'll, we'll we'll get back to him because he he's almost it's almost worthy of his own podcast at this point. Uh, or who knows? Maybe he's already won an Emmy for one. Uh, we, we, we never know. He's, he's probably he on, on this one right yeah. now. <laughs> um oh, and also i mean like some of the some of the things that your that your team is always looking at in, in the course of its reporting is how much money people are raising uh which gives us an indication of whether they intend to to run again if they don't raise a lot of money um, then then they that's a, usually a signal that they either have a boatload of cash already or they're not uh you know act actively running it uh, was the case with ben Cardin, uh, who announced his retirement recently um, he's not considered he wasn't have been considered a vulnerable incumbent but he raised you know a few grand or something uh, which was a you know, put us, you know, put him on our radar that he was like a likely retirement. Um, and then also polling, you know, for, for what it's worth, it's a little easier to poll for the Senate because it's a statewide thing than it is in house districts. Um, but polling always, you know, sort of comes into the equation too. And then we just know, you know, from, from people, if, if you're like John Tester and you've never won a race by more than a few percentage points that just puts you in the conversation already.
0: Right. And you know the the, uh, the last thing, of course, is the the election results from twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two. I mean, of our ten House members, uh, six of them uh, won by a point or less, less than one point. You know, so and that's the that was the the real difficulty with the House because you know there's a lot of there's there's a, there's, there's at least a dozen uh, House and Senate, House members who are in crossover districts. The president, President Biden, won Republican seats, or President former President Trump won Democratic seats. So they are by definition in a toss-up district. Uh, you know.
1: Well, yeah, and and actually, our, our ten uh, of, of of our ten most vulnerable incumbents, there are two Democrats who are in Biden districts uh, of, of of the ten, but the other eight are all in a right. uh, district that was won by um, either either Biden or Trump. Yeah, of the opposite party. So let's let's go through, um, you know, kind of lightning round on some of the. uh, Let's start with the Senate, and then we'll go to the House, and then you know we'll break out a couple of the more extraordinary, you know, people uh, Santos say uh, or trends that we're that we're seeing. So in the Senate, um, it was uh, relatively uh, easy to identify who was the most uh, vulnerable incumbent, and that's Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia. Why is he so
0: vulnerable? Well, because Trump won West Virginia by thirty nine points. <laughs> oh, that! Oh, that! Uh, yeah, but but you know the the argument is that Joe Manchin uh, is you know when with what Nathan Gonzalez, our our colleague at Inside Elections, has written many many times is the only Democrat who could probably carry West Virginia is Joe Manchin. He's a former governor, and he's won, he's won it, uh, as governor and senator several times. He's not said whether he's going to run. He may be playing footsie with this no labels group that you know is wants somebody independent to run for president um you know but but yeah he's he's got already the sitting governor Jim Jim justice is running against running for the nomination and you know you also have you know a sitting house member running in that primary a Republican who won a competitive primary last year um, who is also vying for the Republican nomination so the the, the interesting Mooney, thing, yes. yeah, the interesting thing is you know the two republicans could you know beat each other up so much that that may help Manchin if he does run. So,
1: it, yeah, it, I mean we see this argument sort of come out that hope you know people hope hope that a, a primary bloodies up their eventual general election candidate. Sometimes it works, sometimes it makes that person more battle hardened. it um, does. Yes, you never know. It tests them. Yeah. Um, just justice is of course a two term uh, governor. Previously a Democrat became a Republican. Um, sort of seeing the partisan handwriting on the wall, uh, or maybe he just has real you know convictions uh, to to be to become have become a Republican. Uh, Mooney's a little um, newer to the game, but as you said, when redist- the latest round of redistricting um, lopped off a district in in West Virginia, and Mooney had to uh, you know run for the seat against uh, a, a fellow Republican and won. Um, won you know. Uh and so he's he's got a couple of, of uh notches in his belt too. So so that's you know, that th- that that seems to be a pretty easy uh e- easy one for us to identify. And also, I mean, it should be mentioned too that while well, Manchin won in twenty eighteen, he won by three points, and the you know, the the candidate who's the attorney general, you know, it was not Universally regarded as a, a a top shelf candidate, if if I think is is a fair assessment of his campaign, and Manchin barely won. Uh, in in what was a very good Democratic year, also where the, you know, the House uh, flipped to Democratic control by a, a boatload, um, and and Manchin was just sort of able to squeak by. So, and then number two uh, is another sort of. Might say unique case uh, with my home state of Arizona, and that's Kirsten Cinema. She left the Democratic Party. She's an independent. She also hasn't said whether she's going to run. And even if she does, she's got some headaches.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, the, the, this is one of those things where can an independent win in a statewide race in you know in anywhere? Well, we do have, I guess, two independent senators, but they pretty much are aligned with one of the parties. Right. But you know, in Cinema's case, you know. Ruben Gallego, the congressman, is already running for the Senate nomination. He started, uh, you know, running with the appeal of people who wanted to beat Cinnamon in a Democratic primary, but now they all just like are, are just ready to beat her in the fall. And you know, she may think she can get, uh, you know, enough disaffected Democrats and Republicans to pull out a three-way race, but p- people are pretty hardened partisans and don't want to see another party want to see their party win. So I don't, I don't know that she's got a path that, you know, makes sense. Uh, but stuff happens sometimes. You know, she, I mean, she has out.
1: won a statewide race. She won a tough race, uh, against Martha McSally in, in, in 2018, she was a congresswoman before that. The, probably the fastest growing part of Arizona is the independent electorate. But again, I, I, like you, I am skeptical of people saying that they're truly independent when really what they're saying is I don't want to belong to a political party, even if I actually agree with Republicans or Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> they, they typically vote one way or another, um, and so in this case, you know, it's it's uh, it, it is unclear what the path is for a third party, and also depending on what, who the Republican nominee is, uh, it, it it changes shifts the dynamics, you know, uh, considerably too. You know, Mark Lamb. Could, you know, like consolidate some hardcore Republicans, but so could Carrie Lake. But who knows if that is uh, those people may have never voted for cinema anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the difficult problem, right? I mean, what is her path to, you know, what, 34 percent if you want to be really generous? Uh, But maybe she knows something or maybe she's planning to do something. Maybe she'll be the nominee. Maybe it'll be in a mansion cinema ticket on the no labels you know i i don't know i mean but but i do know that if she's running for re-election in her current party nomination in her current party affiliation she doesn't have a party so she's got to figure out how she gets over the gets more than the rest anybody else
1: and also you know she uh you know, fundraising comes into this too. I mean, she was able to fundraise with Democrats before. That will not be a luxury she enjoys as much. At least the party apparatus, because they'll be behind Gallego or who you know. i assuming you know. I don't. I don't recall if Gallego has a primary opponent at this point. Um, but you know, one would consider him the favorite at this point. I would. So,
0: yeah. No, uh, but Cinnamon does have about almost ten million dollars in the bank right now, too. So,
1: and then. uh, you know, I, I feel like we could almost lump Tester and Sherrod Brown together, John yeah, Tester I Montana agree, and, yeah, the, and Sherrod Brown, that they're they're both from the class of 2006, um, which was sort of a unique year in American politics. There was a lot of dis, uh, dissatisfied voters with the Bush administration, with the Republican uh, Congress. The Democrats were able to flip. Um, there was a good Democratic year in 2006, and, and Tester and Brown were, were part of that class, Um, their, you know, their colleagues have been chipped away one, one at a time, it seems, you know, Claire McCaskill, uh, you know, for, for instance, um, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Bob Casey in a little bit too. He was part of that class, but they're, they're running in States that are, have become less swingy. Um, you know, Barack Obama came very close in 2008, uh, in Montana and, You know Biden lost it by 16, (laughs) so Montana is moving away from the Democratic ticket at a time that even when somebody like Tester, who has his own image and his own constituency, and you know he's got the whole farmer connection, uh, it it makes it tough uh, for him. And same with Brown. Brown's won a lot of statewide races. He's a known quantity. Um, He's got working class sort of connections and roots. But Ohio is moving away from Democrats. Not in not as Quickly as as Montana has, but it's not. Oh, we don't really consider Ohio a swing state anymore.
0: Correct. Yeah. I mean, Biden did lose it by eight points. Uh, you know, everybody thought that. Uh, you know, the Senate race last year, the Democrats had a shot. They didn't. <laughs> you know, so um, they, there's there's just so much, so many times you can say it's in play and it's not.
1: Right. And then the next the next three Democrats on the list: Jackie Rosen, Bob Casey, Tammy Baldwin, are are on the vulnerable list, depending somewhat on who their opponents may be. These are all presidential battlegrounds, you know, Biden won Nevada as did Hillary Clinton. Um, Pennsylvania, Bob Casey at six, I mean it's – that's as, as much of a battleground – it's like the very definition of a battleground state, um, you know, Biden won it, Trump won it. Uh, it, it it's all, Even when it was part of the quote-unquote blue wall, it was always close. Um, and and Baldwin again another quintessential swing state in Wisconsin. Um, but they they need we need to know we know, need to know a little bit more about who might run against them. I, mean, I know Jim Marchant is running against Jackie Rosen in Nevada but uh, our our colleague Mr. Gonzalez uh, said that this if this is the best that Republicans can do for this seat there they may <laughs> this this may not be the strongest candidate that they could have fielded
0: right and doing you know w- we talked about how we pick the people who go on the list but the other challenge is, what's the difference between a 4 and a 5 and a 6 and a 7 right. you know so they may shuffle around when we see their opponents when we see a, you know if a you know they, they always call the the crazy rich people who just jump into races if someone comes in and wants to drop 12 million dollars 15 20 30 40 million dollars that could make somebody more vulnerable but you know it all depends on how well they do and what their dynamics are uh but yeah that's with with baldwin she's at 7 because there's nobody right now in Wisconsin running. Um, so we're, we're looking at that, you know, Casey is, is, is in a similar battle. You know, the Casey, it was interesting. My, my team was telling me no one was really talking about Casey being vulnerable. Like they talked about the open seat in Pennsylvania last year, you know? Uh, so, uh, and I don't know if they just Some of it. that
1: is he's sort of a brand name, you know there. I mean, he's won statewide election now, you know, sev- several times. His old man, same name, was former governor, you know, and you know, so the, the K- that Casey name is is been in Pennsylvania politics for the better part of a half a century plus. And and he's also from Scranton. It's not like he's one of those, you know, squishy libs from P- Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. Right. <laughs> and and I should mention that that uh, Senator McConnell, the minority
0: leader uh, who would really like to be majority leader again, uh, did in a CNN interview uh, recently include Pennsylvania as one of the places he's looking to pick up a seat. So, I mean, there there's definitely going to be a fight there, but it, it's, it's not in the top five because of of. You know, the recent history in the state and the possibility that the guy who uh, lost the governor's race so spectacularly, Doug Mastriano last year, could be running again as the nominee because he just thinks he knows what Republicans are and he should be the one who's leading the charge for Republicans, uh, which the Democrats would say. Uh, this would be one of those places where the Democrats probably run ads to help Doug Mastriano, that say Doug Mastriano is too mean to the
1: Democrats, you
0: know, <laughs> that kind of stuff, and they, they they didn't have Republicans nominate that guy, and you
1: know. and of course the NRSC would likely rather have uh, Dave McCormick, you know, who lost to Dr. Oz uh, in the, in the last cycle um, barely, you know, it was a very close primary, uh, but McCormick is a little bit more that establishment, non scary Republican, you know, who can appeal to uh, people at Country clubs and outside of Philadelphia, um, you know, uh, and uh, and and not scare them. Um, but again, the primary is a very different uh, different land uh, that uh, the, that they're over than the uh, than the general. Um, all right. So, and then to round out the list, we've got three Republicans: uh, Ted Cruz at eight, Rick Scott at nine, and Mitt Romney at ten, all for kind of different reasons. Uh, Cruz, you know. Um, Kind of squeaked by in 2018, you know, for 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 an incumbent, and also for somebody who had run for president in 2016. Beto O'Rourke gave him a real run. Uh, Beto, of course, raised more money than the United States Mint to to run, and also was able to call in Willie Nelson uh, for for concerts, uh, something that Ted Cruz, you know, couldn't match. But he was able to uh, to win, and again in a in a good good Democratic year, uh, you know, Cruz was able to to uh, to win. Uh, but now he's got uh, another potentially tough uh, opponent in, in Colin Allred, who's a former NFL player. He's, you know, sort of a rising star in the Democratic Party. He worked for Obama. Um, and he can raise money. Uh, and he's got a platform. Right. And,
0: you know, his, he, he will play the cards that he's got, which, you know, are that Ted Cruz has done some things. I mean, it's interesting that Ted Cruz has been coming back, uh, you know, because for a while, the Trump people hated Ted Cruz because he didn't, you know, he was the last person who was still running against Trump. Uh, but he did come back and win his seat. And that was, then that, that, that now he's back again to defend it. Um, but there's still some lingering people in Texas. Republicans don't like Ted Cruz kind of thing. Um, and the Democrats just think he's the devil, you know. Uh, but you'll see that picture
1: of him at the airport you know, when they're, going when the, going to Cancun, yeah. You'll, <laughs> trying, you'll see that a lot. Blackout and winter thing. storm in Texas, yes. Yeah, but um, I mean,
0: right now it doesn't seem like the Republicans think they have to do a whole lot of defense in Texas. But we'll see. It could, it, it, and it, and you know, and the other weird thing is making you know having all red running hard at Cruz will make the Republicans put resources somewhere that they can't put in Ohio.
1: And and worth noting too, I mean the the Republican margin has been going down uh, at at the statewide level for uh, in in Republicans for at least at the presidential level. You know, Biden um, Biden lost, of course, in 2020, but he lost by six points to Donald Trump. And Hillary Clinton came within, I think, nine points uh, in in 2016. So, I mean, this you know, it's not to me. It's you know the, the the line is always is demo is demographics uh, destiny i don't think it is um but when you have cities that grow and cities tend to be blue regardless they tend to be vote democratic regardless that creates a different dynamic uh, yeah
0: i mean the one thing i don't know you know where today is the day that uh, the, the title 42 uh, rule expires uh you know if there are uh to what extent that even people who might otherwise vote democratic are really unhappy with the way things are going with migrants in Texas, it it doesn't matter who the Democrats run. They may not win. Uh, You know, you have democratic congressmen on the border saying that Biden is not doing the right thing. So, you know, that, that's going to be a problem that, you know, they're going to face in border States, uh, you know, and in other States to a degree. Uh, But, but so it's, and it's one that the Republicans have primed the public to be looking for too.
1: Rick Scott is next on the list. He's seeking uh, re-election. He won in twenty eighteen. He sort of squeaked, squeaked by, won in a squeaker against Bill Nelson, who's now NASA administrator. Um, uh, Biden lost the state by three points. It's home to Donald Trump. It's home to Ron DeSantis, uh, who won re-election by a. You know, as as we're constantly reminded, almost twenty points. Uh, Rubio, Marco Rubio, just one re-election, uh, sort of handedly. But um, Scott's a unique case. He's a foil for the administration for sure because he said, uh, you know, that we should reconsider the way perhaps we uh, look at Medicare and Social Security. Uh, That's made him uh, a very useful foil for Biden and and Democrats. He also spent $64 million of his own money to win (laughs) that Senate race. And this is after two terms as governor. Um, So he's not the most – he may not be the most popular guy, but it still doesn't have an opponent. Uh, yeah
0: they've got to run somebody and you know i mean one of the one of the names is former congresswoman stephanie murphy uh you know she was able to you know she was a moderate in the house uh, blue dog uh, and, and but that's a tough race but you know compared to some of the states where democrats don't even have a party uh you know it, it is one that if the weird if the winds are blowing the wrong way in, in, in 2024,
1: it could be in play. And then to round it off, before we uh, head to the house, uh, Mitt Romney, who, uh, you know, this guy was a presidential nominee for the Republicans in 2012, a governor of Massachusetts, he won pretty easily uh, in in 2018. And his his issue is is can he get through a primary though?
0: Exactly. Well, you yeah. Know. When we talk about people being vulnerable, it's not just November. You know, it's it's are they going to be in trouble? is it possible that they won't be in the next Congress? So Romney's problem is if a Republican challenges him. I mean, he's one of the last people who voted for impeachment, you know, or conviction in the Senate, um, who haven't faced the voters yet. Um, So, you know, it'll be a test of whether or not that's, you know, and he's spoken pretty, pretty clearly against former President Trumper. And so if that... It's going to hurt him. It'll hurt him in a primary in
1: in Utah. All right, the House uh, of the ten uh, most vulnerable incumbents. Four of them are from New York, uh, and that I, I look at it also that there's there are four, uh, but there are really there's George Santos, and then there's three other guys. There's three but <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> So uh Santos uh, as as you mentioned at the top of the podcast has been indicted on 13 charges uh r- ranging from unemployment fraud to making false statements to the house um he's in hot water uh and it's it's not just democrats who want to defeat him it's republicans too uh there are several calls for him to resign um I'm sure I'll check our phones to see if he has at this point uh, through this podcast um And if, if he were to somehow make it through a Republican primary, then, you know, he's in a district that Biden won by eight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think,
0: I think the big, the interesting thing about Santos is, is whether he drags any of the other Republicans down. I mean, the weird thing, nobody, well, I will tell you that we did not anticipate the kind of New York result in 2024. I mean, those seats were in play, but nobody was saying that was going to be the place where it got decided, but in a sense, the majority that Kevin McCarthy runs controls right now is largely due to, you know, districts in New York, especially those around New York City, that uh, would have that did go for Biden that went for a Republican candidate for Congress. A part of that is because the districts got redrawn and people didn't know who their congressman was. But you know, I mean, I've said to people that the thing with George Santos. Uh, you know, is it kind of like, was he doing a thing like the the, the plot of the, the, the play of The Producers? Like, everything would have been fine if he didn't win. It's only <laughs> when he won that everybody started looking at this stuff, you know? <laughs> and
1: so yeah, because the- he, he had run in 2020 and lost, and nobody picked up yeah, the fact that he was yeah. lying through his teeth right then, too. You know?
0: Yeah, and... and it. So, yeah. So if he stays on the ballot, that could hurt some of the other candidates on Long Island and in Westchester County, Rockland County. Um, you know, they are pretty clearly saying, we want this guy out of here. Uh, Speaker Kevin Speaker McCarthy has said he's not going to endorse him or support him. He set up a joint fundraising committee for everybody else in New York but him. You know, <laughs> so it, it, it wasn't hard to put him at number one. Right. <laughs>
1: But then his his colleague uh, Anthony D De- Esposito, uh, New York's fourth, uh, Mike Lawler in the seventeenth, and Brandon Williams in the twenty second. They're all um, Republicans who won just this this last you know cycle, kind of defying the you know Democrats did okay narrative uh, of twenty twenty two, and they're all they all won. You know pretty closely. Diaspito won by four, but Lawler and Williams uh, won under by under one percentage point, and they're all in Biden districts. Um, I mean, D. Esposito is in a Biden plus fifteen district. Um, you know, Lawler is uh, Biden plus ten, and Williams is a, a Biden plus eight. Uh, and they have a they have a, a tough needle to thread. I mean, you know, yesterday Biden. Uh, this we're recording this podcast on Thursday, uh, May eleventh. The Biden was up in in. Westchester, in 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 Mike Lawler's district, Lawler, you know, of course, bumped off uh, um, Sean Patrick Maloney, who was the the Democratic congressional campaign chairman uh, in the last cycle. Very embarrassing for Democrats for that to happen. Um, but Lawler was there; uh, he was he was part of the event that the that the president was was doing in Westchester, uh, and or in in, in New York and Hudson Valley, and um, you know he he said. You know, his statements to the public in a gaggle and in a uh, follow-up statement were not exactly the kind of rhetoric we see from a lot of House Republicans where they're saying that Biden is either a cunning, uh, cynical, master criminal or senile and drooling all over himself. He says, like, I'll work with him when I can. I disagree with him on this, but I, that's his right and that's my right and we'll try to do things right and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it sounded like, you know, a, a boring politician, which is not usually the mold that has a lot of success these days.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I mean – Biden won the Lawler's district by 10 points, but Biden won New York state by 23 points. Right. No one was defending Trump in New York, you know, in 2022. That's,
1: that's Trump's home state, right? I just want to Not anymore. (laughs) He was born there. He was born there and lived for most of his 76 years in New York. Yes, But
0: my point is that, you know, like these people had experience not running on Trump's line in 2022 when they won. Um, So, you know, at least least Stefanic apart, you know, um, they they managed to, they've been threading that needle, so to speak, if you use your phrase, uh, for a while now. So they know how to do it. And it it seems to me, and this is not a state that I'm totally up to speed on, but New York seems to have woken up that you need some sort of continuing, you know, like they announced they're forming a coordinated campaign and, you know, you got the Senate Majority Leader and the House Minority Leader and the governor now saying, we need to work together to try and win congressional seats. It's like, well, didn't you know that in 2022?
1: <laughs> I, I, they didn't expect them to win, as you said, to your point. You know, the, these were almost sacrificial lambs in some cases. Yeah,
0: and you did have the chairman of the campaign committee probably who didn't say, you know, he didn't pull the fire alarm on himself. So, yeah.
1: But and uh, in in their defense too, the, these, uh, with the exception of Santos, because you know he's again it has sort of a compromised background and and so forth. But I mean, Lawler, D'Esposito, Williams—these are not kooks. I mean, these are people who have right. been in government. You know, they they're, they're, they they kind of know they have constituencies at some level, um, and they're professionals. They're they're professional political people um they're not you know just sort of flapping in from crazy land or something like that you know right and
0: you you also did have a new map two years ago where lawler you know was from the heart of the district and if you recall maloney was sort of nearby decided i'm going to run in this district mondair jones who was actually from most of that district then went and ran down in this district in brooklyn in lower manhattan he lost the primary, oh, like a 17 candidate primary or something like that. Um, he may be running again now. In, in He probably well. wasn't very happy that Joe Biden said that Lawler wasn't a MAGA maniac uh, <laughs> because I'm sure that they, they already had those flyers printed up and now they got
1: to change them, you know. Uh, something tells me they won't go to waste. Um, So uh, then there are two Californians. California was also uh, very good to Republicans in in the last cycle. Uh, Usually, that's uh, that you know Democrats have been able to kind of have their way, at least at the statewide level for sure. But even you know in 2018, this this provided a big cushion for their the Democrats' majority. Uh, But you got Mike Garcia at ten and John Duarte in uh, at three. And, you know, they're, again, they're in Biden districts, Biden plus 11 in Duarte's uh, and uh, plus 12 in Garcia's. But they, you know, in Garcia's case, he's won three times now.
0: Um, Yeah, against the same person who is finally not running again. I mean, but Duarte won by 600 votes, right? So everybody thinks, well, we can find 600 votes next time.
1: Uh, That's what Trump thought in Georgia. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just he, you just place a call and say, "Can you get it for me?" Yeah, yeah. Um, only but, these votes. <laughs> but it was you know it was a tough race, uh, and and it's 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 going to be a tough race again. Again, that was another redistricting situation. But you know we've we 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 think that you know those races are going to be the ones that are going to be on the map the whole time. Uh, you know, Garcia is interesting because when he when he first came to Congress, it was in a special because um, Katie Hill had um, resigned and, you know, he won the, he won the special and everybody said, well, that'll flip back in November because it's a very democratic district, but it didn't. And then the same person ran again and he still beat her. And it's pretty clear that voters in that district for whatever reason, didn't like her. Um, So, you know, he could be vulnerable again. He's still he's maybe, he's, maybe the he's district likes him. him. Maybe
1: the district likes him. He's a fighter pilot. You know, I mean, he's got like the yeah kind of yeah profile I mean, to to do well in politics.
0: Like we were moving people around. You know, there there are going to be other races. I mean, we 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 debated. You know, I, well, actually, I won't go on go on to people who aren't on the list unless you want to get finish the people who are on the list, right?
1: Um, let's let's fin- yeah let's finish the the folks that are on because I think there's a couple of a couple of people who are, uh they're, they're you can kind of group them together kind of like we did with the Californians and the the New Yorkers. Uh, number four uh, is a Democrat, Marie uh, glusenkamp Perez. Uh, she won in a um, in a you know a, a Biden minus four district. This is a district that that um, um, Donald Trump won. Uh, Jamie Herrera Butler previously represented it she voted to impeach uh, Trump uh, the primary voters didn't like that uh, they went with Joe Kent who Trump backed uh, that was he was not uh, that appealing <laughs> to the to the voters of uh, Washington's third District he said that he wants to run again uh, so it is a you know she she barely won you know under under one percentage point uh, but depending on what the appetite is for Kent uh, in in a rematch we we could see, you know, we could see it kind of go either way. And then down in Oregon, just next door, in the fifth in the district, Lori Chavez uh, Deremer like won. Uh, she's a Republican. She beat a, a a a Democrat who had beat longtime moderate uh, Kurt Schrader in a primary. So I feel like you know and Camp Perez and Chavez Deremer are, are sort of related in that they they benefited from. The, a change in their opponents they, their their opponent would have previously been an incumbent the incumbent was knocked off by somebody who was more partisan and the district said no let's go with the you know new person who seems l- maybe a little less partisan yep no that that's that's
0: completely right i mean it's a, so it's like you know you get a, you get a a a republican who is far too the, to the to the to the right and a democrat who is too far to the to the left you know people picked somebody who's less <laughs> Right. You know, in districts that, you know, I mean that the Oregon district is, it was Biden plus 12, but again, it was
1: sort of. It's a uh, Biden nine plus nine uh, from, I oh, Br- think the l- wrong line. On yeah, it, got, it got a little, little less um, yeah. uh, democratic from redistricting, but still, I mean, this is like, you know, this is interior uh, Oregon, you know, kind of bend and, and that kind of stuff. But, right.
0: And, yeah. and, and Chavez de Riemer did not win by much. He won by two points. So, you know, She's going to have to replicate something, uh, you know, and it's going to become a question of how well the Democrats focus on that race.
1: Yeah. And then um, and I should, we should mention Gluskamp uh, Perez is four, Chavez, Dreamer, nine on the list. And then we've got, I, I think, another pairing just kind of. Uh, a little two new, two freshmen um, in in bordering states, not bordering districts, but bordering states. Uh, that's at seven Yadira Car- uh, Caraveo, who won in Colorado's eighth district. This was a, new, a newly created seat uh, that, that Colorado got, uh, and Gabe Vasquez, uh, who won in New Mexico's second district. That's the the part that uh, borders. Texas and and uh, and Mexico, old Mexico, uh, and he knocked off Yvette Har- Harrell, who is uh, gearing up for our rematch. Uh, and he he won, you know, by 0.7, But Biden won the district by six. This could be. This is one of those districts that f- tends to flip a lot. It seems, even though it's gotten a little more Democratic over the years, and it tends to
0: flip in presidential years. You know, I mean, the the the, the question for these two is, are is Biden a a, a drag? You know, uh, like we were talking about with the New Yorkers, is is Santos going to be a drag? Is Biden going to be a drag on them? Um, You know, it's hard to tell because you it could be Biden-Trump again. And what, here in May of 2023, it's hard to imagine that the race is going to be very different in 2024 than it was in 2020. But
1: I don't know. And then just to round it off, like what are some folks who you think might uh, are are in danger of slipping onto the list, depending on uh, uh, events in the, in the next few months?
0: Well, one of the persons we debated the the closest House race in in twenty twenty two was was Lauren Boebert
1: in Colorado. Um, you know,
0: and the guy Adam Frisch who, who who surprised everybody is running again, and we debated whether to put them on that list, and it it seemed like. The Republican pitch was, we were prepared now. We weren't before. Uh, and, and you know, but that's a very strongly re- Republican district. Uh, and I wouldn't, I think that's, uh, yeah, Trump won that by eight. Um, and then, of course, we've got, you know, this the, the, the people who have been on our lists before and are still in crossover districts like Don Bacon, um, Schweikert, you know they're 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 sitting there. They know how to win in these districts. Um, you know, and there's likewise Democrats. You know, in 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 and they've you know Matt Cartwright who have who've been able to figure out how to win even though the people in their district will vote for somebody else at the statewide level. Um, so it, we throw them in there, but you know, really more presidential more likely, level, more
1: more the presidential level than the statewide level. You know, with you know Arizona um, and. I mean the with Cartwright, right? I mean, like Fetterman won, you know Biden won in 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 twenty twenty, so, but depending on how people feel about Trump in twenty twenty four you know that that could swing that so right. and the the
0: other one is Mary Peltola in Alaska, uh, who's a Democrat who took the took the Don young seat. You have these this double complex system in Alaska where you vote, and the top four go to the general in the primary, and then you vote for them and you rank them. So, you know, if nobody gets over 50%, number four, second votes are all like allocated to the other three until somebody gets over there. So the question becomes, can the Republicans unite behind one person in Alaska who, and if they are, if they can, they could beat Peltola. But, Would that one person have to be a very Trumpy person or a a more like a Lisa Murkowski kind of person? And and neither side is going to say that that's what it is because they don't want to agree that the other side might have a better chance of winning. So that kind of leads us to believe that they'll still be fighting this out in the same election next year, uh, or at least she's not our top 10.
1: So, and they said that we wouldn't have to use algebra at anything, you know, like pe- pe- people would say like, when am I ever going to use algebra or, or the new math, you know, if you go back long enough. Well, here it is. <laughs> Ranked choice voting uh, in, in places like uh, Maine and Alaska. That's where, the, that's where this math, these math skills come in.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it is, an, it, you know, it, it is a, it, it's better than a system where you run somebody just to take votes away from the other guy. Uh, you know that that always seems a little dirty and you know just cheap. Uh, you know you 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 would probably get more people. The 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 advantage Peltola has is you know like more people thought she was the best, the least unacceptable candidate. It's probably the best way to put it when she ran last year. That you know all the other candidates had more people against them. You know so that's that that's how she did it.
1: If only we could all get jobs that way. I guess um, Herb, thanks for uh, um, walking us through that. We went through uh, a lot. Went through all all twenty people, uh, which is something we haven't. I don't know if we've done that in previous iterations of our podcast when we talk about most vulnerable. So thank you. Um, it's a lot of work, and you you and your team will be doing it a little bit later on too, uh, as as we get a little closer. Uh, th- these periodic uh, updates of the most vulnerable list. So. Yeah.
0: Well, we're, we're a year and a half out right now where we were when we published the first one. And as, or as Nathan puts it, we're six months into the cycle. Right. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we'll probably be doing another year out in, in, in November. So.
1: All right. Well, thanks again, uh, Herb. And thank you uh, for listening out there. If you'd like to read a little bit more about the most vulnerable list, it's on rollcall.com under our campaign tab uh if you'd like to know a little bit more about this podcast there's also a podcast section go on there subscribe to our newsletter rate us only a positive review though please uh, everything everything else would just hurt our feelings uh, and we will see you next time here on political theater thanks